The Reverend Dr. Blair Money, who died just three months ago, he was pastor of Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. He said the following about today's gospel reading that we just heard. Jesus' God was healing all the wrong people. Jesus' God was healing all the wrong people. And only that, a God so wildly out of step with religious people, could cause a congregation to be filled with rage and seek to hurl the preacher off a cliff. Do not get any ideas. If we disagree about something in this sermon, you can email me. I'll have you up for coffee in my office. I won't hurl you off a cliff, and I hope you won't hurl me off a cliff. That congregation was filled with rage at the thought of Israel's God redefining the lines of who's in and who's out, of who gets it and who doesn't, of who is cherished by God and who isn't. They are filled with rage at the telling of two stories of unsuspecting protagonists who redraw the boundaries of God's inner circle if God has an inner circle at all. The first protagonist, a widow during the time of the prophet Elijah. So this is important to know from the beginning of the sermon. Elijah, not Elisha, who we'll get to in just a moment. This woman, though, is not just any widow. She is a widow living in Zarephath of Sidon. Sidon being a people in a place that the Israelites were not very fond of. And if you want to read about this, you can in 1 Kings chapter 17. I promise it's not too dry. And in a time of famine, Elijah receives a message from the God of Israel to leave Israel altogether, the place and community to which he belonged, to go in search of the widow who would feed him. Elijah then went to Sidon where he found the widow, which in the Bible is a signifier, a socioeconomic signifier for an unmarried woman with no male children of an income generating age, meaning the widow is impoverished and vulnerable. And he finds her gathering sticks to eat so that she and her son could die. Elijah finds this impoverished woman, an outsider, an enemy, an anti-hero, if you will, and she blesses him with just the right amount of sustenance he needs to survive the famine, and in turn, she and her household ate four days. Jesus' God was healing all the wrong people. Jesus then tells the story of Naaman the Syrian, Naaman was a contemporary of the prophet Elisha, Elijah's protege. Naaman, as the story goes, was a high-ranking official in the Syrian army who was suffering like many others at that time 
from a severe skin disease. In one of the Syrian army's raids, they'd taken captive a young girl from the land of Israel who suggests that Naaman, the mighty warrior, see one of the prophets from her homeland about being healed. The narrator of 2 Kings, so this is a story from 2 Kings chapter 5, seems to go out of her way to mention Naaman's immense wealth. The mighty warrior was accompanied by 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments, numerous horses and chariots. If he were from where I was from, we'd just say he was rich. And yet even with a U-Haul full of expensive things, the mighty warrior was unable to heal himself. The U-Haul isn't actually there. That's a creative license. (laughs) Naaman had reached the end of his illusion of self-sufficiency, the mirage created by the amassing of more and more and more. Imagine Naaman's shock when he approaches the prophet Elisha's house and the prophet sends a messenger to meet the mighty Syrian warrior. Go wash in the Jordan seven times, the messenger says, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. The narrator goes on to say that this episode angers Naaman. Could not the prophet have come out of his home, wave his hand over me and cure my skin disease? Are not the rivers of my own homeland not better than all the waters of Israel? Could I have not washed in them and be made clean? As you can tell, Naaman needs therapy. And Naaman's desperation quickly becomes indignation because why on earth is a mighty warrior like me wasting his time with a second-rate prophet who won't even come out of his house in a second-rate country? But Naaman's desperation quickly reemerges and he takes the advice of one of his attendants and dips in the River Jordan the same river he had just ridiculed and emerged from it healed. And the text in 2 Kings says his flesh was restored like that of a young boy. Jesus' God was healing all the wrong people. We are currently in the season after the epiphany, the reverberating days and weeks after Jesus Christ is revealed to Magi from the East as the Son of God. It is in this season that we hear anew of God's desire to show God's self to all flesh, to all nations, to all people. We also hear of God's fulfillment of God's promise that all shall see the salvation of God. And like the people in Jesus' hometown, we can feel excluded from what it appears God is doing for and to others and not for us. 
for the anger of Jesus' hometown is not that God reveals God's self and shares God's immense love with others, but that God excludes some from healing while making leaps and bounds and trips to heal and restore others. Notice the issue they bring to Jesus toward the beginning of the reading. Jesus seems to be withholding his ability to heal from those in his own hometown, even though he's healed many throughout Capernaum and other neighboring regions. And like the prophet Elijah, who left Israel to find the widow in Zarephath of Sidon, and the prophet Elisha, who heals Naaman the Syrian. Jesus appears to skip over his own people. He seems to be keeping the epiphany, the revelation of God's self to himself. Whether he is or isn't is neither here nor there. I try to keep my sermons short if possible. But it does leave each of us with a taxing Question, one of those questions that won't stop nagging at the soul. Who is our widow of Zarephath? Who is our Naaman of Syria? Whose healing feels to us like we are being excluded? In the Eucharist, we're preparing to share that question becomes even more pointed for us. In what ways have we been healed? In what ways have we been restored? In what ways have we been forgiven and enlivened at this table, at this altar, and simply kept it to ourselves, assuming that we are the only ones in need of sacramental bread and wine? And how might we tell these stories in new ways? Ways that sets us free from hoarding this beauty and this life and this love. Like Jesus said both this week and last week. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today what Dr. King would call the fierce urgency of now, today. This goodness we've tasted in this place is urgent. It demands our attention and it invites our testimony, our witness. For in it, we have experienced the living, loving, and liberating, and life-giving God who refuses to be bound by artificial boundaries, imposed for our own comfort, pushed to the edges of our own cliffs. Amen. Amen.